0: Hello, this is Diksha from Newslaundry.com, bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Sunday, the 7th of March. India recorded more than 18,000 COVID-19 cases in the last 24 hours, taking the overall COVID tally past the 1.12 crore mark. hundred deaths linked to the virus were reported in the same period and the death toll stood at over 1,57,000. More than 2 crore people have been vaccinated in the country so far, out of which more than 14 lakh were vaccinated yesterday. The central government yesterday urged six states and two union territories to step up their vaccination drive in critical districts in the wake of rise in daily cases. Haryana, Andhra Pradesh, Odisha, Goa, Himachal Pradesh, Uttarakhand and the union territories of Delhi and Chandigarh were also asked to tie up with private hospitals. This will be done to open up the vaccination timetable for at least 15 days. Besides, the government has also directed the states to increase contact tracing to at least 20 people for every positive case. According to a Hindustan Times report, the Indian Army said that veterans and their dependents will start getting vaccinated from the next week. The vaccines will be administered to them at service hospitals. The report states that there are more than 32 lakh ex-servicemen in the country. Meanwhile, a vaccination centre has been set up in the parliament complex exclusively for members of parliament. The centre will cater to these legislators in the second half of the budget session, which will begin tomorrow. Now for an update on global COVID numbers. COVID-19 has infected more than 116 million people in the world so far, while more than 2.58 million people have lost their lives to it. Our story of the week this time is the Centre's purported report seeking to neutralise journalists critical of the government. We will come back to this story later during the episode. Ahead of the Assembly elections in Tamil Nadu, the Congress and DMK have signed a seat-sharing agreement. The state's Congress Chief K.S. Alagiri announced today that the party will contest 25 seats this election with the DMK. Elections in the state will be held for 234 Assembly seats in a single phase on April 6. The results of the elections will be announced on May 2. In Assam, Congress has released the first list of 40 candidates for the upcoming Assembly elections in the state. This came after a purported rift in the party, which it brushed off yesterday. Elections to 126 Assembly seats will take place in Assam in three phases. The first phase of elections will be held on March 27. The second and third phases will be held on April 1 and 6, respectively. BJP in West Bengal announced yesterday that former Trinamool Congress leader Suvendu Adhikari will contest the elections against the state's chief minister, Mamata Banerjee. Adhikari and Banerjee will face each other in the Nandigram constituency of West Bengal. Adhikari, who had been an aide of Banerjee for years, had resigned from all his positions in the TMC and joined the BJP in December last year. Meanwhile, former Railways Minister and TMC Member of Parliament Dinesh Trivedi joined the BJP yesterday in the presence of the party's chief, J.P. Nadda. Trivedi had resigned from his Sabha and Trinamool membership on February 12th. He stated that he felt quote-unquote suffocated because of the violence in West Bengal. Talking about the elections in West Bengal, a shift is being witnessed in the Trinamool Congress's political strategy. The party's development promises have replaced its criticism for the BJP in 2019 and it's steering clear of the politics of polarisation. In his recent opinion piece on Newslaundry.com, Snigdendu Bhattacharya writes that the party seems to have switched tactics in how it presents itself this election. In 2019, ahead of the Lok Sabha poll, the TMC portrayed itself as the principal critic of the BJP, especially Narendra Modi. As a result, the BJP and Modi took centre stage in speeches by Mamta and other leaders of the TMC. After facing a blow in the Lok Sabha elections, with its tally dropping from 34 to 22, the TMC has decided to make Mamta its focus. TMC leaders and Mamta herself are focusing on what she has done over the last 10 years and the good work she has planned for her next term. To read the full piece, go to newslaundry.com. It is titled... More Mamta, less BJP – Trinamool's campaign strategy for the Bengal election A court in Bengaluru restrained 68 media houses yesterday from publishing unverified or defamatory content against six Karnataka ministers. The ministers from Karnataka CM B.S. Yadurappa's cabinet had approached the court after their colleague Ramesh Holi had resigned as the Water Resources Minister. Jarkiholi had been accused of sexually harassing a woman on the pretext of offering her a government job. Purported videos of the unidentified woman and the minister were circulated on social media this week. Some purported telephone conversations were shared as well. These videos were also aired by Kannada news channels. The six ministers, who went to court, claimed that the media had telecast news reports without verifying their sources or authenticity. They had alleged that Holi tendered his resignation owing to the media coverage. The minister has denied all allegations against him and said that he was resigning on moral grounds. Telugu poet and activist Varvara Rao was released from Mumbai's Nanavati Hospital last night. The Bombay High Court had granted the 81-year-old activist a six-month bail on medical grounds on the 22nd of February. Rao, who has been named as an accused in the Bhima Koregaon case, was shifted from Talodra Prison to Nanavati Hospital in November last year. This was done on the Bombay High Court's intervention, which had observed that the activist was quote-unquote almost on his deathbed. Rao's lawyer Indira Jaisingh tweeted a picture of the activist last night as he came out of the hospital. She wrote in her tweet that Rao was quote-unquote free at last. The Jammu and Kashmir administration yesterday lodged 168 Rohingya refugees in a quote-unquote holding centre in a sub-jail in Katua. The police located the refugees from across the valley, including women and children, and placed them in the centre. According to the Indian Express, the holding centres with a capacity of 250 people were set up after a Home Department notification on Friday. The notification was issued under the Foreigners Act. A senior government official told the newspaper, and I quote, These immigrants were not holding valid passports as required in terms of Section 3 of the Passports Act, unquote. He added that officials were in the process of identifying more such immigrants. He further added that after sending them to holding centres, their nationality will be verified as per protocol. Based on this, the procedure for deportation will be initiated. The Rohingyas are an ethnic group largely comprising of Muslims who live predominantly in the western Myanmar province of Rakhine. Years of religious persecution in Myanmar is the reason for Rohingyas seeking refuge outside the country. The Mumbai police on the 5th of March recovered the body of Mansukh Hiran, a car accessories dealer from the Thane Creek. Hiran was allegedly the owner of an SUV filled with explosives that had been found near industrialist Mukesh Ambani's home on the 25th of February. A letter addressed to Ambani and his wife was also recovered from the vehicle. Hiran, who lived in Thane, had reported the Mahindra Scorpio vehicle as stolen to the police a few days before. He went missing on the night of March 4th and his body was found on March 5th in a creek near Thane. Notably, on March 2nd, Hiran had written a letter to Maharashtra Chief Minister Uddhav Thakre. He had claimed in his letter that he was being harassed by the media and the police. Asking for police protection and legal action, he had specifically pointed fingers at Joint Commissioner of Police Milind Bharambe and Assistant Police Inspector Sachin Waze. Hiran had also named a reporter working with the newspaper Midday. In the letter, he had alleged that multiple teams of police quote-unquote grilled and interrogated him back-to-back. Back. He also alleged that after his stolen SUV was found near the Ambani residence, he kept getting phone calls from newspapers and news channels who harassed him and his family. News Laundry reporter Prateek and I accessed the copy of the purported letter and analysed its contents. We also reached out to Inspector Sachin Waze and the editor of Midday, whose journalist has been named in Hiran's letter. To know more about what they had to say and the nature of allegations in Hiran's letter, go to newslaundry.com and read our full report. It is titled, Though a Victim, Treated as Accused. Days before mysterious death, Mansukh Hiran wrote to Maharashtra CM. Coming back to our story of the week. The central government announced new rules to regulate digital news media to counter fake news on February 25th. While announcing the new guidelines, Union Ministers Ravi Shankar Prasad and Prakash Javadekar emphasised the need for an institutional mechanism to regulate all forms of media. The guidelines have been dubbed as the Information Technology Intermediary Guidelines and Digital Media Ethics Code 2021. As per the new rules, digital media platforms will have to provide details of their editorial head, ownership, address and designated grievance officer. While announcing the rules at a press conference, Javrekar had said that digital media portals don't have the right to spread quote-unquote lies and rumours. He added and I quote, ''Press freedom is the spirit of democracy, but let me tell you that all freedom has to be responsible freedom.'' Unquote. After the rules were made public, Several digital media platforms took strong exception to some specifics of these rules. The Digipub India Foundation, which News Laundry is a part of, argued that some of these rules appear to go against the fundamental principle of news and its role in a democracy. So why were these rules formulated in the first place? A possible reason was revealed this week when a report prepared by a group of ministers in mid-2020 came to light. The objective of the alleged report was to quote-unquote neutralise independent media platforms. According to a report in the Caravan magazine, the group of ministers who prepared this report included Union Minister Mukhtar Abbas Nakvi, Ravi Shankar Prasad, Smriti Irani, Prakash Javadekar and S. Jayashankar. Four ministers of state were also involved in the preparation of the said report. Echoing the concerns of the report, Nakwi, one of the ministers in the GOM, had said, and I quote, we should have a strategy to neutralise the people who are writing against the government without facts and set false narratives and spread fake news, unquote. The authenticity of the report has so far not been denied by the government. On Thursday, however, Nakwi told the Hindu that he did not know anything about the report. The report is based on three meetings between union ministers and some media professionals. One of the meetings was convened at the residence of Minister of State Kiran Rijiju, where Minority Affairs Minister Mukhtar Abbas Naqvi was also present. The two others were video conference meetings hosted respectively by Smriti Irani, Minister of Textiles and Women and Child Development, and Prakash Javrekar, Minister of Information and Broadcasting. The report also includes inputs and observations purportedly given by two sets of media professionals. These include working journalists and former media persons who are currently working closely with the government. It mentions the names of media persons like Kanchan Gupta, Ashok Malik, Swapan Das Gupta, Surya Prakash, Sunil Raman and Ashok Tandan. Inputs were also collected from the CEO of Prasar Bharti, Shashi Shekhar Vempathi. The report also mentions Nupur Sharma, the editor of Hindu right website Op India. It claimed that the centre also consulted with working journalist Abhijit Majumdar, editor of Yearshot.in, Nitin Gokhale, the editor-in-chief of Strategic News Global, and Anant Vijay, associate editor of Dainik Jagran. The first meeting took place in 2020 when the group of ministers from the Modi government reached out to who they called prominent persons from the media. This was allegedly done to identify strategies to effectively communicate the 10 big narratives of the government. According to a Hindustan Times report from December, some of the narratives that the government wanted the media to focus on are schemes like Atmanirbhar Bharat, Digital India, Skill India and Swachh Bharat. The report emphasizes the need to identify journalists who generate negative narratives. It also seeks to find those who can counter these narratives. Let's have a look at the recommendations made by Union Minister Smriti Irani in one of the meetings. The Caravan magazine reported that Irani suggested assigning the responsibility for constant tracking of 50 negative influencers to a wing of the Information and Broadcasting Ministry. A section of the report states that some negative influencers give false narrative and discredit the government. The report further goes on to say, and I quote, These influencers need to be constantly tracked so that proper and timely response can be given, unquote. In addition to this, the report also suggests regular engagement with quote-unquote 50 positive influencers and engaging with journalists who are supportive of the government or neutral. It states that these journalists would not only give positive stories but also counter the false narratives. The report also attributes input to Nitin Gokhale, a former NDTV and Tehelka journalist. Gokhale, who, according to the Caravan Report, is close to the National Security Advisor Ajit Doval, suggested the following. He stated that journalists should be colour-coded in three colours, green meaning fence-sitters, black meaning against the government and white meaning those who support it. He also allegedly suggested that quote-unquote favourable journalists should be promoted and supported. In his latest report on Newslaundry.com, Ayush Tiwari spoke to some of the media persons whose purported inputs have been mentioned in the report. One of the media persons present in the meeting told Ayush that the suggestions ascribed to him in the GOM report were ludicrous. He added that he had no clue who in the government was writing what. Kanchan Gupta, another media person named in the report, said that whatever he told the government was privileged communication. He refused to comment further. Nitin Gokhale, meanwhile, described the remarks attributed to him as a lie. To read the full report on what other media professionals present in the meeting had to say about it, head over to Newslaundry.com. It is titled, Bogus Quotes and a Misrepresented Meeting. Journalists disown the government's report on setting the narrative. This report by Newslaundry is an example of how an independent media platform that is not funded by the government can verify information. It can bring you hard facts without pushing agendas or vested interests. We are able to do this because we are a 100% ad-free platform and we don't take funding from the government or corporates. We run solely on the support of our subscribers who pay to keep us afloat. So if you aren't a subscriber already, now is the time to join the movement to keep news free and independent. Go to newslaundry.com and hit that subscribe button on the top right corner of the website. The lowest subscription starts at just 300 rupees a month. Pay to keep news free. Now for some international updates. Police in Myanmar today fired tear gas to break up a sit-in demonstration by thousands of people in Mandalay City. Reuters reported that protesters were detained in at least six other cities. The neighbouring country has been witnessing one of the most brutal instances of police action to quell the mass protest that started after February 1st. The military leadership in Myanmar had taken over the country's democratic establishment and detained civilian leader Aung San Suu Kyi. According to the United Nations, security forces have killed more than 50 people in the military crackdown so far. The police fired tear gas and stun grenades on protesters in the country's main city, Yangon, today. A video posted by a local media group showed soldiers beating up men in Yangon, where at least three protests took place today. The protests were organised despite overnight raids by security forces on campaign leaders and opposition activists. A local campaign manager for Suchi's party died in custody after being arrested in Yangon on Saturday night, according to a member of the dissolved cabinet.